going to dive into this message. We're in uh, Luke chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16. We've been uh, in a series that I've been calling the Upside Down Kingdom, where we're looking at the stories that Jesus told, um, that we call them parables. <clears throat> now, Jesus was this master storyteller, and he told some great stories. Some, I mean, some really, a lot, of, in fact, a lot of the uh, terms that are kind of in our everyday vernacular come from some of these gospel stories. And, and it's a shame that there's such a lack of biblical knowledge in our society today because most people don't even know where these terms come from. Things like when you call someone a, a good Samaritan, that comes from a Jesus story, right? And, and things like that. And so this particular story is not one of those well-known stories. It's pretty obscure. And the reason it's obscure is because nobody preaches it because nobody understands it. It's a really, really confusing story. And it is a, um, like one of the things I love so much about Jesus is that he is to me constantly surprising. Like I think it's super tempting for us to kind of, you know, get this mental picture of the Jesus that we think exists. And if you actually dive into the gospels and read about Jesus, more often than not, the image that jumps off the page is probably different than the image in your mind because Jesus is complex. Yes, he's about love and he's about peace. And then he says things about, you know, uh, you know kind of almost like being at war with uh, your own family and, and, and hating them at times. You know, like what does he mean by those phrases? And he tells stories that are that are all about God's love and forgiveness, like the prodigal son. And then he tells this story, which is so bizarre, so un-Jesus-like uh, in terms of, it just doesn't sound like one of his stories. It sounds like he's praising something that's sinful. And, and so how do we make sense of that? And it's, it's, it's just really complex. So we're going to dive into it. Part of the problem with this story is that we don't operate in the culture in which it was told. So we kind of got to dig into that and figure out what's going on. The other problem is at one point in the story, there is a, a what I would call a really horrible translation issue. Uh, so the English words that we get on our pages, I think are not the best words to help us understand this story. And so I'm going to try to unpack all this and try to make it make sense. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's bizarre though. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. And by manager, we mean kind of like an accounts manager uh, or an accountant would be a, a better term in our day. Uh, and Jesus is rough on accountants. He tells story of, of uh, you know, this dishonest accountant and uh, Judas was an accountant. And I mean, it's rough. So if you're an accountant in the room, good luck. Um, but anyway, so no, no, he's, he's, he's kind of rough on accountants. So he tells this story. So I'm just going to dive in and try to keep up, okay? Um, he also said to the disciples, this is Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, now the manager, not the master, the manager says to himself, the accountant, what shall I do since my master is taking away the management from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. 
He's like, so, I mean, he's stressing out. He's like, he's just lost his job. Uh, you know, he's like, where am I going to find work? If word gets out that my previous master thinks I was a dishonest manager, then no one else is going to hire me. Uh, I can't, you know, I'm not strong enough to do manual labor and, and I'm too ashamed to beg. And, you know, all, he's like, what do, I, what do I do? What do I do? He's really stressed about his future. So he says, um, verse four, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, we'll take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, we'll take your bill and write 80. And the master, so the master comes back in the picture and he hears what's going on. And this is the surprising thing. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Kind of a weird statement. It says, And I tell you, this is the very un-Jesus statement. You ready? And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So... I guess, amen. You want to go home? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, um, so let me try to kind of unpack what's going on here. It's, it's, man, I'm telling you, this is complex. Like, is this, first of all, you got this dishonest accountant who hears he's fired, and then he, he decides to kind of cover his own butt by going to all the people who owe his master money and saying, hey, you owe my master 100? Let's call it 50. He's getting on people's good side, so they'll take him into their homes if he's homeless someday, right? And then the master hears about this and is like, yeah, that's pretty shrewd. Pretty shrewd. He kind of respects him because he's taking care of himself that way, right? And then Jesus gives us this really weird statement about, you know, use your money to make friends. Use that unrighteous money that you all have to go and make some friends so that someday you can get into an eternal dwelling. It was like, like, that's, that's so disturbing to all of our theology and all of our sensibilities and every, like, well, how do you, how do you possibly make sense of that? So here it is. Part of the problem is the culture. So this was Jesus telling a story, honestly, about Israel to Israelites. Okay. The, the master being God, the dishonest accountant being Israel. So Israel was, uh, you know, their whole role in the world, according to, you know, if you read through the Old Testament and everything, is they were to be, the, as a nation, they were to be the light to the world. They were to tell all the nations about the love of God and how that God had a plan to set all things right and make all things new. And they failed in that calling, completely failed in that calling. They kept the light all to themselves and instead just went around judging the world and calling the world unclean and separating themselves from the world. They completely failed in that calling that God had on their life, which is why God sends Jesus, the first Israelite to ever truly live up to Israel's calling, who does and is a light to the world and dies for their sins, and he becomes the Messiah and the whole thing, right? Now, 
Part of that culture, that Israelite culture, if you go back and read some of those Old Testament laws, there was this law on the books that said, if you were to loan money to a brother in the faith, a fellow Israelite, if you were to loan money to a fellow Israelite, um, you're not allowed to charge that person interest. Not allowed to charge that person interest. Why? Because that's your brother. Why do you want to make money off your brother? Why not rather just help your brother? That was the kind of the principle. And so there was actual, if you want to charge interest to foreigners, that's fine. But these are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why would you try to make money off of them? We're not charging interest to our own, right? There might be a lesson for some of us to learn there, okay? I'll let you work that out yourself. So that said, here you, as long as there have been rich people in the world, there will be rich people finding loopholes in the law. Amen? Okay, okay, you're with me. So this time was no different. And so while the wealthy uh, knew that it was against the law for them to collect interest from their brothers and sisters in the faith uh, on loans, they found a loophole because the law said money. It talked specifically about money. So let's say you need a loan and you go to a wealthy man, uh, you're, back, you're living back in this time, and say, you say, I need $1,000. It's like, okay, I'll give you $1,000. But in repayment, you're going to pay me back in oil or in wheat, and I'm going to charge interest on that. So I'm giving you $1,000. You're going to pay me back $1,500 worth of oil or wheat. And this was a common practice in this day. Everybody knew it was a common practice. It's how they got around the law and were still able to maintain wealth and oppress the poor like the wealthy often do, okay? And so... Jesus tells the story of this account manager who's scrambling for what do I do, what do I do? He knows how his master works with people. He knows that he is indeed kind of dishonest himself and skirting the law and looking for the loopholes. So he goes to the guy who uh, says, I owe my master a hundred, what is it? Um, Where does he say? A hundred measures of oil. He said, okay, well, he actually only lent you 50, so take it and write it 50. Well, I owe my, my master 100 measures of wheat. Well, he actually only lent you 80, so take it and write 80. And then what does the master do when he finds out what this guy did? Like, what's the master going to do? He can't raise a stink because then everybody around him will know how dishonest he is and how a cheating, you know, oppressing type of rich person that he is. And so instead, he just looks at the the dishonest manager, and he's like, well played, right? Well played. And he just kind of, he's like, you got one over on me. You know, that sort of, there was like, remember this? <laughs> no, you probably don't, never mind. There's a scene in Tommy Boy, at the end of Tommy Boy. You remember that, you know what I'm talking about? And he's like, hey, you got one over me. Don't, don't, it'll never happen again though, right? It's that kind of that, that type of deal, right? And so, yeah, he's like, he's like, well played. And he actually kind of respects him for being so shrewd, so cunning, so um, um, strategic in his maneuvers to take care of himself and make sure he has a place to stay and to live. So Jesus tells a story. Everybody kind of gets it. It gets the context. They understand what Jesus is saying. We, again, that culture is kind of lost to us. We, we, we're not really, we don't really understand that. But then he says this thing. He says, um, Jesus says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And Jesus' point behind this story is that 
We need to be people, God's people need to be people who are wise and shrewd and strategic with the resources that we've been given. Because there's going to come a day when everything's not necessarily turning up roses. Jesus constantly warned Israel in his ministry against this. He was constantly telling stories, using analogies, giving very direct warnings to Israel. You guys have got to stop poking the bear, the bear being Rome. You've got to stop poking the bear. You've got to stop. You're fighting the wrong fight, and this is going to go bad for you. And he would give these warnings that this is all going to come down. This is all going to crumble down around you. And he's projecting for just a handful of years to the year AD 70, when Rome, is, or Rome sacks Jerusalem and the, the, whole, the whole thing comes down. And Jesus was trying to tell them, this is not going to go well for you. You need to be looking out for your own interests because there's going to come a day when you're going to need friends because you're getting ready to lose everything. You're getting ready to lose everything. And instead, what, instead of being shrewd and being wise in the way that Jesus was trying to teach them, Jerusalem, Israel was about the business of, again, separating themselves, judging everybody around them and their wickedness and their uncleanness and everything else. And and so the religious leaders were despised. The Pharisees were hated. All the people who should have been leading Israel in the direction towards God were actually at, at work in her own destruction. Why? Because they weren't making for themselves any friends. I think there's a really big lesson for us to learn here as a church. Because you don't have to be uh, Nostradamus to look at the world around us and predict that the direction things are going now, I don't know how long down the road it's going to be, 20 years, 100 years, I don't know. But our religious freedoms in this country are headed for change. You know they are. You know they are. Maybe we'll always keep our religious freedom in that you can worship whoever you want to worship. But if you can't see that there's a day coming up somewhat soon in this nation where we're going to be told, yeah, worship whoever you want to, but don't try to get anybody else to worship who you're worshiping. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't try to you know, evangelize people. Everybody's got their own. You, you Don't do that. To the Christian, that's such an offense because evangelism is worked into the very fabric of who we are and what we're called to do. And that day's coming. It's just, it's just coming. I'm not, I'm not trying to be gloom and doom. I'm just saying that's coming. There's going to come a day when we will face legal repercussions for sharing our faith. That's the direction we're heading in this nation. Again, I don't know when, 20 years, 100 years, who knows? But that's where we're going. For us to survive those times when our freedoms become restricted, when we have the potential to lose much because of our faith, it's important who your friends are. It's important who your friends are. And if you have been the type of person that stands from the walls of your church, shouting at the top of your lungs and pointing to the world around you, going wicked, 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 unclean, 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 and just judging and judging and using the Bible as a weapon, then you're going to be hard up for friends. But if you have been the kind of follower of Jesus Christ who understands your role to lock arms with your brother Jesus and be a light to the world, a light, 
a giver of hope and of joy and of forgiveness and especially of love, then you might have friends that could actually help you. Are you, are you building bridges or are you building up walls? Are you building bridges or are you building up walls? How are you using wisely for the sake of the kingdom the resources that God has given you? Are you using it just to tear down and condemn the world around you? Or are you using it to offer them actual hope? The world doesn't need us to condemn them. They have someone who condemns them. His name's Satan. They don't need us to help Satan in his job. They need us to be Jesus. They need us to be hope and light. Isn't it beautiful? The sound has moved back here instead of over there, so it's great. So It's awesome. It's, it's, it's an upgrade. So <laughs> they need us to be light and difference in this world, hope and love in this world. And when we become that, you know, you guys know as well as I do, the church doesn't have a good reputation in the world. Turn on the news any day of the week, and you'll find out pretty quickly what people tend to think of Christians. Turn on any sitcom, listen to any comedian, you know, whatever, do that, and you'll find out that people have a pretty low view of the church. But you know what I've found is that when we exit these walls and get out into our community and actually show love to people who need love and show hope to people who need hope, they're oftentimes shocked and surprised that their perception of Christianity and their perception of church was all wrong. And they might still point to other churches and go, they don't get it. They're wicked. They're hypocrites. But you know what? That guy, that lady, they're genuine. Like I believe in their walk with Christ. There's something real there. They show love. And we should be building bridges with people, relationships with people. Why? Because Jesus says there's coming a day when you're going to need those. You're going to need those relationships. And here's the thing that if all you've ever been is a self-righteous jerk to the world around you, good luck, because they're probably not going to help you out. It's like in the Bible, Second like Jeff 3, 2, <laughs> jerks can't be light. That's, that's, the way, that's the way it goes, right? Jerks can't be light. It just doesn't work that way. You have to be genuine in your love. Can I, can, can I tell you, I get it. I get why it's so easy to jump on the bandwagons, to just point out wickedness and point out the decline of our society and point, like, I, I get it. I understand it ruffles my feathers just as much as it ruffles yours. But we have to put our sensibilities aside for the sake of the gospel daily, daily. Like we don't have to, okay, I got it. All right. Uh, okay. Okay, here we go. I reserve the right to delete this from the podcast. Here we go. <laughs> uh, I found out this week that uh, we're getting new neighbors down the sidewalk. We're getting a, a pot grow place down the sidewalk, which is, you know, whatever it is, what it is. 
And um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, a lot of people are, most people are fine with it. A handful are outraged by it. A handful are outraged by the closeness to homes. A handful are outraged by it's in the same center as a church, you know, whatever. And, um, and I've done a lot of thinking about it this week. At, at first, I was like, you know, my initial rea- reaction was great, you know, whatever. And then uh, the more I began to think about it, the more I began to think in terms of, um, you know, like if somebody asked me, what do you think about that? I would tell them, I'm nervous about it. Not because it's weed, because I'm nervous about every new neighbor that moves into this facility, whether or not they'll be good neighbors. Right? Don't you get the same feeling when, when a neighbor moves in next door and you're like, you don't know anything about them. You're like, oh, I hope they're good neighbors. Right? That's kind of the way I feel. It's like, I hope they're good neighbors. Um, I do know I'm not going to stand from the doors of the church and scream at them. I do know I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, this is not a weed debate. I'm just using this as an example, okay? I'm not going to go pick it in front of them, and I'm just not going to do that. I, and why don't I just bug them with Jesus and love instead? Like, why don't I just try to be a good neighbor back to them? I could bring some of our coffee to them. I hear they have good snacks, right? <laughs> we could, <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So, like, like I'm just teasing. So, <laughs> like, I, you have a choice. What I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is you have a choice. You can choose to be constantly outraged and offended by everything that goes on in our world, or you can choose love. And, and those two things rarely go hand in hand. Now, now, there are some things worth being outraged about in this world. There are some things worthy of righteous anger. But I think we have to choose our battles wisely. I think, it's, it's, again, it's so much wiser for us to build bridges rather than build up walls. Um, now, you can feel however you want. Again, I'm not trying to do a weed debate. You can feel however you want to feel about that, and I'm not going to get on your back about it, okay? I mean, if you felt called by God to petition the city to get them out, fine, do that. I don't care. I'm just saying... I want to be a person and I want us to be a church that chooses love more often than we choose outrage. And I think that for us to, to be that would be to, for, to follow the intent of this story where it's like, how are you going to take care? And that's why he says what he says there. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. It's like the world around us. They know how to grease each other's palms and, and take care of each other. They know how to make friends with all that you know, wicked money or whatever. They know how to do that. Meanwhile, the people who are supposed to be the sons of light, we're screaming from the rafters and raving like lunatics because we don't like whatever. Pick your thing you don't like. And so we have to be careful to be light light. Now again, there are things worth being upset about, and that's fine. If, God, if you feel moved by God, I mean, there's plenty of examples all throughout the scripture of people who were moved to righteous indignation, righteous anger. And if you feel moved by God in righteous anger towards something, then fine, follow God's lead in that. 
But you know what? Not everyone gets that call from God. Not everyone. I mean, God hits us all in individual and unique ways. So he's going to fire you up about something that I'm not fired up about. And he's going to fire me up about something that you're not fired up about. You know, it's, it's just kind of the way that works. But how are you using the resources that God has blessed you with to advance the kingdom? I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, here's the translation issue. This is a horrible translation. Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, use your money to buy friends so that you can get into heaven. Isn't that what that sounds like? Yeah, that's because it's what it sounds like. It's not, it's a translation. The Greek word there that we translate or that a lot of English versions translate as eternal can also mean long-lasting. Long, it doesn't necessarily, so eternal dwellings to us sounds like what? Heaven, Right? I think it's a better translation to go because, because these friends that we're supposed to make with this money have no, I mean, theologically, we know those friends have no say-so in whether or not we're getting into heaven or not, right? So that doesn't even make sense to translate it that way. It's, it's again, in terms of you're, you're liable to lose everything, be careful, make sure you have made good friends, that you have built bridges instead of walls so that when everything you have is lost, somebody with a longer lasting home will be there for you. Does that make sense? It makes much better sense. So now Jesus follows up this teaching with this other bit of teaching. Verse 10, he says, one, is, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you, excuse me, hot dog coming up, uh, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in money. So my big point for the day is this, is that in the kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, in the kingdom, Money is not a possession, it's a trust. Now, this is, this is so countercultural. It goes against everything in us as Americans. If you can get your spiritual hooks into this truth and really let it own you, I don't know of a, another principle that might make you more like Christ than this. Money in the kingdom of God is not a possession. It's a trust. It's a blessing that God has entrusted to you. Jesus tells another story of a man who had a bumper crop one year. Huge crop. It's so much that his barns couldn't even hold it. So he thinks to himself, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down those old barns. I'm going to build great big barns. And then I'm going to sit back and relax and eat, drink, and be merry and just enjoy my life. It's the American dream, right? American dream. Get, Get a big raise get a big promotion, get a big buyout, get a big inheritance, win the lottery, and then retire early and just relax and experience the good life. It's the American dream. The problem with, well, what happens after the man says this is that the Lord says to the man, you wicked servant, today your soul will be required of you. 
And the problem wasn't that he was wealthy or that he had a big bumper crop. The problem is that he assumed it was all for him. He assumed it was all for him. And in the economy of God's kingdom, all of us as his children, we are not left with that option. When we get blessings, whether they are financial or material or whatever, when we get blessings sent to us from God because they all are from God, we don't assume it's for us. Rather, we submit to God and we pray and we ask him, God, thank you so much for this blessing. If, if you meant this for me just because you love me and you want me to have something nice or get that raise, or, then, then thank you. I'm so grateful. But God, if you meant to give this to me so that I could be the conduit through which you give it to someone else, then please make that clear to me. I don't want to assume it's just for me. If you intend for it to be, if you intend for this money to be passed on, then make that clear to me. If you intend for this thing that I have to be given to or shared with someone else, then make that clear to me. I submit not just my spirit to you. I even submit my finances and my possessions to you. You read through the scriptures, you read through the gospels and you hear Jesus' teaching. You cannot miss it. Jesus is constantly calling us to give to the poor, to help the widow and the orphan, to to um, uh, help those who are in need, to not let us ourselves be owned by money. Uh, it's just on and on and on to be generous. You cannot serve both God and money. Money makes a horrible master. Money makes a horrible master. And if all of us in this room were to be, were to kind of look inside yourself and get really honest with yourself right now, my guess is that a bunch of us in this room would probably have to admit that we are being mastered by money. Mastered by it. We're enslaved to debt. We are enslaved to possessions. We are enslaved to overcommitting our money. We are, in, I mean, we are being mastered by it, where we have been called to master it for the glory of God. Master it for the glory of God, not be mastered by it, because money makes a horrible master. So then the question becomes, like if God has entrusted this to me, like how do I put that, what do I do with that? How do I put that to use? And it's I think for, for me, it's just constantly submitting again to God and allowing him to shape me into the person that he's wanting me to become. Because if I'm honest with you, I struggle in this area. I struggle with my stuff. You know what I'm saying? I struggle with, you know, wanting more. I struggle with exercising generosity to the degree that I know Christ calls me to. It's something that I, it does not come necessarily natural to me. I have to be very intentional about it. Very intentional. So it's just that. It's just this regular exercise of submitting it all to God, even though my nature and the culture I'm living in goes against that. 
I submit it to God over and over and over, and I just say, God, you know, let me know. If it's not for me, let me know. Whatever. Whatever you need from me, let me know. So yes, he blesses us with these things, but I hold it with an open hand. And I allow him to recall it at any time. Anytime, instead of getting the raise or the promotion or the inheritance or whatever and constantly upgrading every time I get more. Bigger house, better car, heated seats, right? Better vacation, better, you know, constantly, constantly upgrading. Instead, I... I try to embrace a life, and I'm a work in progress here, folks. I try to embrace the life of simplicity and contentment that Christ has called me to. That's the key word right there, contentment. Are you content, or are you constantly craving more? If you are, welcome to America. You're just like the rest of us. You're just like the rest of us. The problem with that is that Christ calls us out of that to be something different. To be something different. Like imagine your life for, I know this is a fairy tale for some of us, but imagine your life for just a second. If you were able to scale down your living, your standard of living, so much to where you could be content with a little, that there was just excess for you to be generous with. Excess to help family, to help friends, to help neighbors. Excess to give to kingdom purposes. But instead we upgrade, 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 and there's no margin for us to do the work that God has called us to do. How many of you have felt a calling of God in your life and found yourself going, well, when I pay off that debt, maybe then I'll do it? It's a real thing. I talk to people all the time who have those thoughts. Your money is mastering you when we've been called to master it to the glory of God. I'm not saying these are easy changes that God calls us to make. They're not. They're not easy. It requires, it's so countercultural, so countercultural. But I believe that there's very little in life that would set us apart from the culture that we live in to the glory of God more than this. Embracing simplicity, embracing contentment, learning to be generous. Even if it, Jesus here commends this idea of kind of strategic generosity, right? Even, even generous so that you're building up friends and, and, you know, you've got people that got your back down the road. Even if there's a little bit of a selfishness to it, Jesus is like, that's okay. That's just called wisdom. That's just called wisdom. I know that goes, that goes against us. What? We're supposed to be completely selfless. Well, take care. It's, Jesus says take care of ourselves too. But I just want to I just want to encourage us this morning. Like, take this thought home, take this scripture home, and begin to pray through it. Begin to pray through that principle of: Is my money? Do I look at my money like a possession, or do I genuinely look at it as something that has been entrusted to me that one day I will be held to account for? I'll be held to account for it. Because I think, you guys know, has anybody ever entrusted you with something valuable? You know how, like when it's somebody else's, you know how careful you are with that? You're like, like you will threaten the life of your kids if they try to touch it, right? I mean, like, why? Because it's not, it's not ours. It's not, it's not ours. We can't, 
You can't just abuse that. We got to take care of that. That belongs to somebody else. You become very protective and very guarded and very safe with it, and you would never put it in risk, right? And Jesus says, that's everything I've given you. It's not really yours. In the economy of the kingdom of God, it's all his, and we're just stewards of it. We're just stewards of it. So allow that to shape your decisions when it comes to stuff and money. Allow that to shape your decisions when it comes to generosity. Allow that to shape your decisions when it comes to all manner of things regarding money and stuff. Take it to God. Keep him in the loop. Don't just assume it's all for you. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word, even if it's a word that has us kind of scratching our heads at points. Um, I thank you so much that you, that you do entrust us with great blessings. So God, help us to manage it well, to manage it in a way that brings you glory. God, help us to be a people who are content with the blessings that you have blessed us with. Would you help us to remove that ugly cancer that exists in so many of us that just has us constantly craving more? Give us a sense for what we actually need and, um, and what is just uncontrolled coveting. We love you. And we want to, I, I want to, I want to honor you with my life in this way. So transform me into a more generous person, transform me into a, a wiser person with my finances and with my things. Um, God, help me to run every purchase and every dollar that comes through my care uh, through the filter of your gospel. I love you. And uh, we just give you the glory this morning and we praise your name. We ask you to lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. In Jesus' name.